This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 10th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Reconciliation was a process created to help Congress balance the books at the end of a year. Now the process is being used to push through a health care reform that will contribute to deficits. So says Michael Tanner, Senior Fellow at the Cato Institute. Well, last week, uh, the president signaled his support for the reconciliation process, uh, kind of the nuclear option when it comes to health care reform. Reconciliation uh, is an obscure parliamentary tactic that's designed to circumvent filibusters. Uh, you basically force a up or down vote that only requires 50 members of the Senate plus Vice President Joe Biden in order to pass something. Uh, that way, the Republicans can't use their usual filibuster tactics in order to stop health care, sort of negates the election of Scott Brown in Massachusetts. However, uh, this is not an easy process to do. Uh, it's going to create a great many problems in both the House and the Senate if they try to move forward with this. Without an individual mandate, it gets very hard to do a lot of uh, dictates about what goes into what plans and and what kind of coverage people are going to be provided. Well, that's absolutely right, and that's part of what makes it so difficult to move health care reform under the reconciliation process. Reconciliation can really only be used for budget items. It was created back in the 1970s to make it easier for Congress to balance its books at the end of the year. The idea was that if you had budgeted $100 billion and you were coming in at $102 billion, you could go back and cut a couple of billion out in order to make the books balance without having to go through all the bigger morale of a, of a filibuster. So it really can't do policy changes. It's just budget changes. That means a lot of what they want to do in terms of health care reform can't go through the normal reconciliation process. So reconciliation was, in some sense, a product of a time when people took deficits a lot more seriously than they do now. Well, that, that's right. Uh, for a bill that's actually going to raise the deficit to go through reconciliation uh, is kind of ironic. Uh, the, what they're going to probably have to do is pass most of health care reform through the normal process. That would mean the House of Representatives would have to pass the Senate's version of health care reform that had already cleared the 60-vote hurdle in the Senate. And if the House passed it, it would, it would become law. The problem with that is the House hates the Senate bill uh, and is going to demand changes to it. It is those changes that would have to go through the reconciliation process as an amendment to the, to the bill. But that still means the House has to act first, and right now, the House doesn't have the votes to do that. What's the hope for any type of free market idea finding its way through the House and Senate? Well, I think that right now uh, it's pretty clear that if the Democrats want to get 50 votes in the Senate for reconciliation, they can do so. There's 59 Democrats. Uh, they could afford to lose up to nine of them on this. It, it's pretty likely that they would be able to get 50 votes in the Senate, assuming they can pass all the various parliamentary hurdles. Uh, there, for example, is unlimited amendments to a reconciliation bill. The Republicans could amend literally every single word. They could add telephone books to the bill and demand that they be read aloud as an amendment before they're voted on, do all sorts of things to slow it up. But the most important vote is going to be the one in the House. Can the House get 216 votes 
to pass the Senate version of the bill. Remember that back in November, when the House passed health care reform, they only had a three-vote margin. Since that time, Jack Murtha has died, a couple of members have left the House, a couple of other members have said that they would have changed their mind and are going to vote against it. So the question is, can the Speaker <clears throat> bribe, borrow, cajole, twist enough arms uh, to get people who voted no the first time to switch their vote to yes this time around? That's going to be an interesting question. When the president says there are Republican ideas here, this is nothing more needs to be said about health care. What's he talking about? Yeah, well, technically, I, I guess the president is right. He did add a couple of Republican ideas last week uh, to his proposal. Uh, for example, he is now going to add $50 million, this million with an M, dollars to the bill to incentivize states to do malpractice reform. I mean, $50 million, that's, that's a whole million dollars per state. Uh, he's also going to have undercover stings uh, against fraud in Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, wow, we're going to combat fraud in Medicare and Medicaid. This is a major concession that he's made. Uh, so that shows just how far Washington's gotten out of touch, I think. Uh, he's going to increase reimbursements in the Medicaid and Medicare programs. So we're going to spend more on programs that are already broke. Uh, that may sadly be a Republican idea, but doesn't mean it's a good one. And then finally, he's made some vague promises on allowing health savings accounts to be sold through the exchanges. Uh, but we don't know how that's going to work till we see the actual legislative language. The current bills don't prohibit health savings accounts, but they make them virtually impossible to actually sell. Uh, we'll have to see what that's going to turn out to be. And as of this recording, the president's plan for health care reform is 11 pages. Uh, that's right. There's no legislative language. There's been no score from the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, we know it's going to cost more than a trillion dollars, but we have no idea how much. And until that scoring is done and that legislative language is compiled, Congress can't move forward. Uh, it's going to be virtually impossible to meet the president's deadline of a bill passed by Easter. Michael Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.